you're listening to a podcast appearing on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Scams are one of the most dangerous threats today, especially when it comes to our elders. As the number of victims and money taken continues to skyrocket, realize that there is hope. ScammerCast is your frontline battlefield for getting educated on the most recent scams, but also how to defend against them. Join us as we detail the processes, the traps, and the solutions to help us all hammer the scammers. Hammer the scammers. It's time for the ScammerCast. Here are your hosts, Curtis Bailey and Art Maines. Welcome back to the ScammerCast, everyone. This is your co-host, Curtis Bailey. And your other co-host, Art Maines. We are talking today with Jerry Walsh from the FINRA Investor Education Foundation. Jerry is the Senior Vice President of Investor Education at FINRA, and in that capacity, she's responsible for developing and operating all of FINRA's Investor Education Program. Welcome to the show, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Well, it's, it is our honor and a pleasure and look forward to having a great conversation today. Sponsored by Western Union and Midwest Trust. Would you tell our audience a little bit more about you and what led you to your position at FINRA today? Well, I have been a lifelong regulator. I'm a lawyer, although I like to joke that I'm a recovering lawyer. Uh, I'm an investor advocate who's done a lot of work in investor education for the past almost 20 years. I was at the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, before coming over to FINRA, and I've been heading up the FINRA Investor Education Foundation for the past four years. Oh, that's fantastic. You've really got a, an extensive background here must be exciting to be working in the field where you are now. It is. It's, it's important that America's investors know that there are regulators looking out for them. And FINRA's whole mission is investor protection and market integrity. And we have a variety of ways that we carry out that two-pronged mission. And we work very, very closely with the Securities and Exchange Commission, which also is uh, the federal regulator for the securities industry. But one of the many things that we do is we educate investors, and that's my job. Jerry, before we get into everything that you do at FINRA, tell our audience what sort of led you to this work? Is there a passion or a certain experience in your background that led you to want to do this? There is. When I was an enforcement attorney at the Securities and Exchange Commission, I felt like so many of the mistakes that investors were making could be avoided if they knew more about how markets worked. And we had recently at the SEC launched an Office of Investor Education and Advocacy. And so I approached the head of that office to see whether I could switch over to her neck of the woods. And it was kind of a love affair from day one. I I always felt drawn to helping investors better understand the markets, understand the pitfalls of investing, understand risk and reward. Because both pieces play into any investment that people make. And, you know, kind of brought to bear the public speaking, creative writing, the outreach work that I love to do. And that's what led me to this chair that I'm in right now. Well, that is fantastic. And and the risk part of it is something that do you find people don't pay enough attention to? Or do you think they pay too much attention to it in general? What do you think about that? 
I think it's more that it's so complex, people don't quite understand it. And I think it's easy to say, oh, they didn't understand the risks or they didn't heed the risks. But when you think about it, every single investment has risk. Even a federally guaranteed savings bond has risk. It's the risk of inflation. Mm -hmm. So risk is all around us and it comes in a variety of forms and some risk you can control, but some risks are absolutely out of your control. And that's why it's so challenging for investors. And that's why we help to unpack some of those concepts so that they understand what, you know, some of the systemic risk is, market fluctuation, global currency changes, those kinds of things that really are outside of everybody's control. And then the kinds of things you can control and how you can do that. So, Jerry, we hear a lot in the news these days about FINRA, and I think this is a perfect opportunity for you to help our audience and help uh, me and Art understand what exactly FINRA is and how the FINRA Foundation fits into the picture. Could you talk a little bit about that? What, what is FINRA and what is the FINRA Foundation and how they interrelate? FINRA is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and we're not part of the government. We're an independent, nonprofit organization that's authorized by Congress to protect America's investors, and we make sure the securities industry operates fairly and honestly. And so we do that a variety of ways. We write and enforce rules that govern the activities of close to 4,000 securities firms all across the U.S. who have 640,000 and brokers that work for those firms. We examine them for compliance with the rules. We foster market transparency. We process 75 billion pieces of information through our technology, market transactions that are happening every single day, 75 billion. And we bring transparency to the markets. So pricing, activity, volume, all of that we make available to the public through our market data center. And what is the market data center? The market data center is a a place on our website that you can go to get current pricing and trading information. You can also get up-to-date information about different securities. So if you want to learn about particular bonds or asset-backed securities, if you want to learn about stocks, mutual funds, all that information is available through our market data center. You can get to it on our website at FINRA.org. Okay, and we'll certainly post a link to that in the show notes page certainly. of this episode so that uh, our audience can have access to it. Now, what is the relationship between FINRA, the FINRA Investor Education Foundation, and the industry itself? Because some people that I've talked to have said, well, isn't FINRA just an arm of the financial industry itself? Isn't it just where they're kind of policing themselves? Self-regulation is a concept that Congress baked into the securities laws back in 1938 and 39. The Securities and Exchange Commission came into being in 1934, Mm -hmm. a few years after the crash of 1929. The very first securities law, comprehensive national securities law, was in 1933. 34, the SEC shows up, and then five years later, Congress decides that there's a lot to regulate and that it makes sense for industry to regulate itself. And so it created this mechanism called National Securities Dealers Associations. And FINRA for many, many years was the primary securities dealer association. We 
FINRA came into being as FINRA in 2007 when the New York Stock Exchange's regulatory functions merged with NASD, the National Association of Securities Dealers, to create FINRA. But FINRA it has a legacy that dates back to 1939. Okay. All right, good. Thanks for telling us all of that and filling us in. Yeah, yeah. I think because as Art mentions in his question, I think there's a lot of folks out here that just don't know uh, how, how that uh, the history of FINRA and how it relates to uh, the SEC and the federal government and other regulatory agencies. Right. Well, and it's important to recognize that FINRA is overseen itself by the Securities and Exchange Commission. So just as FINRA oversees and inspects for compliance the brokerage firms and the individuals to make sure that they're licensed and they're complying with our rules and they're reporting all the information that they're required to report, the SEC inspects FINRA's operations. And so while we're not government, we are overseen by government and we cooperate closely with other regulators, including some of the banking regulators and our colleagues over at the Department of the Treasury. Mm, Great. Okay. Well, that's helpful. Yeah. So tell our uh, audience sort of on a day-to-day basis, what do you do at the FINRA Foundation? Well, I feel like I have the best job uh, within FINRA because I get to run the FINRA Foundation. I'm the president. And the FINRA Foundation was created about 12 years ago with fine money that the Board of Governors, it was then NASD, uh, but the Board of Governors allocated money to create a foundation so that FINRA could really carry forward with uh, creativity its investor education initiatives. And so we've been around for 12 years, the foundation has, and we've evolved to be an organization that focuses on helping particularly underserved audiences achieve the skills and knowledge that they need for financial success throughout life. So we don't focus exclusively on investing. We also focus on debt management and building savings sufficient to start investing. And we do it through a variety of ways, grants and outreach that we conduct ourselves. And uh, how many uh, people do you have uh, working with you there at the foundation? My whole department is 12. Not all of us work full-time on the foundation, but other parts of FINRA also help with the foundation's mission. So we have an investor protection campaign that focuses very much on fraud prevention, and we work with our colleagues in the Office of Fraud Detection and Market Integrity, so a completely different office. And we also work a great deal with member regulation in doing outreach events and coordinating on things that FINRA has implemented to help investors like the Senior Securities Helpline. And we'll have a link to that, of course, in the show notes. Jerry, tell us a little bit about that hotline and and sort of the efforts to really provide some outreach to the senior investors. Absolutely. Well, in April of 2015, we launched this new initiative, the FINRA Securities Helpline for Seniors. The whole goal was to broaden our investor protection initiatives. We wanted to have a place that seniors in particular could go to talk to someone about their investments, about concerns that they had with their brokerage account or any questions that they had. And since then, we fielded an array of calls and well over 5,700 calls to date from all over the country. You know, we're able to help seniors with uh, problems that they have. Interesting. What seem to be the primary themes of the calls? Uh, can you can they, you break them down into you know categories or? The, 
calls range greatly. Uh, in some instances, people are calling because their portfolio at the recommendation of a financial professional has been highly concentrated in a particular field. And when the energy sector was having uh, some gyrations in the past year, they were experiencing losses. And because their whole portfolio was dedicated to that sector, they were seeing substantial losses sure. at a time where they're no longer working. They can't go back and kind of recreate that money. But we also get questions about transfers of security accounts when an older person dies. So we'll hear from younger children of seniors who are either incapacitated or they have died, and how do they get access to, how do they deal with the transfer of those accounts when, when older people become incapacitated or if, or if they pass on? Very cool. So you, you guys help not just the older folks, but the, the younger folks, too, who are trying to navigate caring for a senior or inheritance kinds of issues and estate matters, too. So, so that's a pretty all-encompassing mission. It is. And, you know, there have been some instances where we have made referrals to Adult Protective Services Mm -hmm. because we were concerned that an individual that had contacted us was being potentially abused or needed some kind of wellness check. So it's important that we have those relationships with Adult Protective Service workers in those states. We also work closely with state securities regulators because if we receive information about something that's in their jurisdiction or that they would want to know about, we want to make sure that we're collaborating with our state securities regulator colleagues. This is great. I had no idea about the extent of the mission and the way that you work with various state and federal agencies. So this is very illuminating, and and I'm grateful that you guys are out there. Well, thank you. Uh, We've also made referrals to federal and even to foreign regulators. So we get calls about a wide array of things, and we make sure that all those calls get to the right places. And FINRA as a whole does that. You know, the Office of Fraud Detection that I was telling you about also fields calls and emails from investors who provide tips or call with questions about questionable securities. And so often the frauds that we see that happen in the world of investing happen when an investor gets contacted by somebody that's not licensed by Mm -hmm. FINRA. So how how does a person find out about that? Is it simply asking the question or, or is there another way for them to check that out? Asking the question is an important first step, but you have to remember that a con artist is going to lie to you. Exactly. And exactly. <laughs> That's my they'll point. They'll tell you. They'll tell yeah. you that oh, they yeah, are I'm licensed. licensed. Yeah. But you can check that information by going to FINRA Broker Check. And again, it's very easy to find the tool. It's free. It's available 24-7. You just go to FINRA.org, and you'll find the Broker Check search box right on the homepage. You can put in the name of the person, and if they're not licensed with us, that is a huge red flag if they're trying to offer you the sale of a security or investment. Very good, very good. I've I've uh, looked at that a couple of times. I changed brokers in the last couple of years. My former guy uh, retired, so I checked out my new one, and it's a very cool tool. I really uh, liked it, and I recommend people check it out when they can. So we'll be sure we put a link to that on the show notes at scammercast.com. I'm struck by uh, the number of tools and resources that you have available to the general public to, to help them sort of navigate this area of, of investments and, and brokers, which is often a, a difficult road for them to follow. What other kinds of resources do you have available to the public? 
We have a wealth of information on investing. So whether you're just getting started and need to get your financial life in order, we have tips on how to manage your debt and build a budget and start saving so that you're able to invest. And then once you start thinking about investing, we have tools and resources on how to pick financial professionals, whether it's a broker or a team of financial professionals. Mm -hmm. might involve uh, an advisor or a planner or maybe a tax attorney or other people in your life that will help you with your, your finances. We also have information about products, and we have some tools that are pretty cool that help you do some comparisons of products. We have the Market Data Center. We also have a tool called the Fund Analyzer that investors can use to compare different mutual funds that they're interested in buying or that might be recommended to them. And they can see the impact that different cost structures have over time. So if they're comparing funds within a fund family, they can look at the A shares or the B shares or the C shares, which are just different different ways that you pay for the fund. Or if you're interested, let's say, in a broad-based index fund, you can compare the offerings that different fund complexes provide, and then you can see which one might meet your goals. Boy, once again, you know, got some great tools out there, and I want to encourage all of our listeners to take a look at FINRA.org at BrokerCheck and the, what was it, the market, say it again? The Market Data Center. Market Data Center, right, yeah. exactly, yeah. I mean, this sounds like great stuff for people to use, so... You know, and, and we uh, also know that through the foundation, you have conducted um, some pretty major uh, educational research studies dealing with financial capability, and then also that we're going to talk about a little bit later, the role of emotions in, in scams and fraud and investing. Tell our audience a little bit about that first study, though, the, the National Financial Capability Study. I'm happy to talk about the National Financial <laughs> Capability Study. We just launched it last month, and it's a, it's a terrific opportunity to benchmark and track investors and, and really all Americans' attitudes toward money. It, it covers not only knowledge about financial concepts, but attitudes and behaviors, how you're managing your money, whether you're planning ahead, what financial products you're using and how you use them and how you make decisions. So it's the third wave. We've done three of these studies, and they're pretty big. The, this latest one was 27,000 U.S. adults. Wow, that is big. Yeah. And what are you finding? I mean, you cover a lot of different areas in this um, uh, study. So what are you finding? One of the key findings for this year is that Americans are feeling more satisfied about their finances, but it's very clear that some sectors of the U.S. workforce are still struggling, particularly right. younger people and some ethnic minorities. So does it also ring true that folks who are perhaps less educated without a college degree perhaps are struggling as well? I mean, this is what I hear in the media. Do you find that in the study? We do. We see that. And yeah. especially people who have a high school degree or less are also struggling. Are you in a position to offer any policy suggestions to interested uh, politicians or policymakers about how to address these kinds of problems? I mean, we're getting a little off topic here, and I apologize, but it, that's an interesting area for me because I hear about it in my work as a counselor. You know, the folks who are really struggling are the ones who don't have those college degrees. 
We don't get into the policy arena because our bylaws of the foundation prohibit us from doing that. I see. But the data are available to those who influence policymakers. And so a number of organizations have done research using the financial capability data, the Urban Institute being prime among them. They've been taking a look at various issues from the earliest release of the the survey back in 2009. They did some research on payday lending and Mm. looking at states that had caps on payday lending and whether we saw reflected in the data the impact of those caps. And in fact, we did see that in states where there was some sort of restriction on the interest rate that a, a payday lender could charge, fewer people engaged in, in payday lending, and you know there were other impacts. We also, uh, they will be coming out with a study that takes a look at the impact of the Affordable Care Act, because mm-hmm. we asked in 2012, and we asked again in 2015, about health insurance mm-hmm. and medical costs and medical debt to explore that field, because what we're hearing is that medical debt is becoming a significant driver of people's sense of being over-debted. Yeah, indeed. That's a, that's a huge topic of clients in, in my law practice is the impact of medical debt on uh, not only their estate, but uh, after they pass, uh, the family that's left uh, to sort of pick up the pieces, you know. Right. And, you know, even with the Affordable Care Act, we do see that there are 21% of people generally who have passed due medical bills. And so they've got insurance coverage, but insurance doesn't cover everything. And they're racking up that debt. And what's significant is that there's a substantial number of people, particularly households headed by women, who have made the choice to forego medical treatment. Either they don't follow the instructions that a doctor gave them, or they don't see the doctor in the first place because of the cost of that treatment. And so there's an issue there. Right, right. There's a a certain concept that you talk about, I think, in this study called financial fragility. And I wondered if you could address that. First of all, how do you measure it? And how are older adults doing uh, when you look at that sort of concept? We, the good news is that older adults are doing better than, than younger adults, but we worked with researchers who have studied this concept before, Peter Tufano, who's now the dean of the Said Business School at Oxford, and Anna Maria Lusardi, who is the academic director of the Global Financial Literacy Excellence Center at George Washington University. And they had asked this question in previous studies, so we worked with Professor Lusardi to implement it into our survey so that we could track this. The question is, how likely would you be to be able to come up with $2,000 in a month's time if a financial emergency arose, some financial shock that you didn't anticipate, like your car breaks down or a tree limb goes through the roof of your house? So what you found is that the older adults, and I know it's an arbitrary number, but I think you picked, what, age 55 to, to, to sort of make that classification? Right. And yeah. what was sad is that while the older people were doing better than the younger people, 25% of our survey sample, age 55 and above, said that they probably or certainly could not come up with $2,000 if that kind of emergency arose. And that tells us about people's liquidity. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, there's a huge lack of 
liquidity in households. So people have debt and they can't tap into any assets in order to cover a cost like that. Yeah, sure. Is there any tie-in then, do you think, between that fact and the willingness, well, not necessarily the willingness, but maybe the susceptibility to fall for a, a scam artist who comes in promising easy money? There can be. And you know, we've been looking very closely at the foundation at financial capability and propensity to fraud. And we're trying to draw some connections, but we do see that individuals who have less money might be open to trying to recapture that money. Sure. And that's something that we, we want to study more so that we can come up with ways to help people avoid fraud in the first place. Sure. sure. Right, of course. And, and financial pressure is one of those underlying factors. I mean, I think about uh, the payday lending topic that you mentioned a little while ago. I mean, I, I've had clients in their middle age years or older who don't have the money for some sort of emergency. Typically, it's a car breaking down. So they will end up at a payday lending place, and they'll pay back five, six, seven, ten times what they originally borrowed. Which is just so sad, because then you're in this endless cycle of debt. Exactly. Exactly. Right. right. Well, we are visiting today with Jerry Walsh from the FINRA Foundation, and uh, it's time for us to take a short break. We encourage you to visit the website at scammercast.com and leave us a comment or a note on your thoughts about what Jerry has been discussing with us today. Have you come across any instance of a, of a broker uh, maybe contacting you that seemed a little shady? Have you been to any of those lunches that uh, some investment firms want to invite you to? What was your experience with that? Let us know. Leave us a note at scammercast.com. And we'll be right back. It's time to take a break during this episode of the ScammerCast. Have you liked our effort on Facebook? Visit the link via our website at ScammerCast.com and be sure to share any of our informative articles with your friends and family. It's all about education and protecting our seniors. We'll be right back. study found that most older adults fear running out of money during their retirement years, even more than their fear of death. A trust can be an effective way to manage and protect your assets while you're alive. Now, many folks believe that trusts are only for rich people. They are not. Midwest Trust Company of Missouri, located in Clayton, Missouri, offers professional trust management for clients all across the country. Using Midwest Trust is a great way to know that someone with experience and integrity will manage your wealth objectively. Naming Midwest Trust can provide you with peace of mind in knowing that you or your parents will not be exploited financially and lose all of the assets acquired during a lifetime of hard work. Midwest Trust will even work with you or your parents' own financial advisor. Don't let fear of running out of money drive your life. Contact Midwest Trust Company today by visiting the link to their website at scammercast.com. The discipline to grow. The strength of experience. The ability to adapt. Values that endure. Midwest Trust. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. 
Check it out now by accessing the Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From the Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. There was a day when the villain was easy to spot. These days, different. Today, technology allows scammers to reach victims across the globe through mail, email, phone calls, and even social media. Know what to look for so you can help protect yourself no matter where you are. We remind you to never send money to people you haven't met in person and to always verify before you send. You work hard for your money. Don't let a few minutes with a scammer separate you from what's taken days, weeks, or even a lifetime to work for. Western Union, move money for better. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Unlike TV or radio ads, where every instance the ads are broadcast, they're only played once and lost forever. Perpetual advertising could have repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, and even years after they're inserted in a podcast. So even if a podcast is a few years old, your ads will still be impactful to repeat listeners as well as new listeners. This gives your advertising dollar the most bang for the buck. Find out more about perpetual advertising at twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. This is Paul's Tree Service. A person is calling through Relay, Missouri. This is operator. Uh, thanks, but we're not interested. Who is that? Uh, just one of those annoying telemarketers. Wrong. You just hung up on a customer. One who wanted to spend money with your business. A customer who happens to be deaf, hard of hearing, or who has a speech disability. Calling you through Relay, Missouri. Relay Missouri is a free service that allows people who are deaf, hard of hearing, or who have a speech disability to communicate over the telephone with you and your business. Don't hang up. This could be new business. For more information on Relay Missouri, take a minute to log on to RelayMissouri.com and open the door to a whole new group of customers. Become part of a growing community that is silent but can speak volumes for your business. Relay Missouri brings the hearing and deaf, hard of hearing, and people with speech disabilities together at no charge with no sign-up and no monthly fee. Log on to RelayMissouri.com and find out how you can start communicating with these new customers today. Welcome back to ScammerCast, your headquarters for the education and prevention of scams against our elders. Let's dig back in with your hosts, Curtis Bailey and Art Maines. And we're back from break. This is Curtis Bailey. And Art Maines. We are talking today with Jerry Walsh from the FINRA Investor Education Foundation. And she has been leaving us with great information about the various tools and resources that are available for seniors and those who care for them to be able to kind of keep track of the world of financial advisors and investing and and also giving us some more insight into the study that FINRA's Educational Foundation has been conducting on Americans' uh, financial capability. And so what else do you want to tell us about that, Jerry, before we go in a slightly different direction? We see that adults that are over the age of 55 tend to show fewer signs of financial stress when you compare them with younger individuals, millennials, and others who are under age 34. So there's some good news in the survey for older Americans. But even then, we see 
that some Americans that are 55 plus are still engaging in costly credit card behaviors, and mm. many of them feel like they have too much debt. Three in 10 report that they feel like they've got too much debt. So there's wow. a lot of work to do. While we were on break, you mentioned that you've got another component of the study that you're working on now and will be wrapping up and publishing the results soon. Tell our audience a little bit about that. Well, 30% of the individuals that we surveyed, and we surveyed 27,000 U.S. adults over the age of 18, 30% say that they have non-retirement investments. In other words, they've got a taxable brokerage account or an advisory account other than their IRA or their 401k. So they're actually making investments. And what we did is that 30%, we decided to do a deeper dive and we, we took a sample of 2,000 of those individuals to really better understand their use of financial professionals, how they choose the particular investing products that they invest in, and, again, their attitudes as well as their behavior. And so we'll be releasing that later in the year, and I think that will give us a very rich look that we can then slice and dice across different demographics. Mm. Now, what does it indicate to you and to your researchers that a senior has uh, a taxable account like that or an advisory account? Does that indicate a certain approach to investing or a mindset? And are there pros and cons to think about there? It can indicate several things. Some people only invest through taxable brokerage accounts, either because they don't have access to a 401k at work or because Mm -hmm. for whatever reason they've chosen not to avail of the tax advantages of an IRA. They might not know about them or they might not feel like they need them. But someone who has a taxable brokerage account typically has excess assets because 80 to 90% of the investors in our 2012 sample, I believe it was closer to 90%, who are owners of brokerage accounts also have a 401k or an IRA. So they've got investments beyond the workplace or the the IRA scenario. Gotcha. Right, right. and I guess... um, you know, that's certainly good news, as, as we want to point out, but uh, the the flip side of that coin is uh, that means that the over 55 crowd has more resources and tends to attract the scam artists mm-hmm. and the fraudsters, right, going after it. It's the age-old Willie Sutton principle. Right. They go where the money is. <laughs> that's and right. the truth is people over the age 55 are more likely to have accumulated substantial savings, whether they're in investment accounts or in a retirement account than somebody who's younger, yeah. and that's where the fraudsters go. Right. So, so what are some of the most common scams that you come across in, in your work? Uh, I mean, there's just so many thousands of varieties, but you probably see patterns and trends there at FINRA. What are the common ones that you see targeting seniors? Recently, through the Securities Helpline for Senior, we were hearing a lot about these IRS scams, which are not necessarily investing scams, but it's a way that a fraudster tries to persuade you to part with your money, and they're devastating. Those things are as common as dandelions in the spring, aren't they? (laughs) They are. (laughs) I just hear about those all the time. Well, I I, I receive... You know, calls. It seems like I don't know. This week must be my week on the uh, on the uh, IRS scam list because every day there's a message on my answering machine at home. Yeah, and remember, I've, got, I've gotten the call too. It's, yeah. it's very, very irritating. And one of the <laughs> yeah. things that we tell people to do 
is don't answer your phone. Right. And I know that sounds counterintuitive and right. it's especially difficult for older Americans who have been trained to answer the phone. You're right. But get caller ID. And even if you have caller ID, there are services out there that can help eliminate these robo-calls that are out right. there, these bots that try to figure out whether you're a legitimate number. So don't pick up. Wait wait until it rolls over to voicemail if you don't recognize the number. And if they don't leave a message, that's a huge red flag. It's not somebody right. that needs to get in touch with you. Yeah. And if they if they do leave a message, you might learn something by listening to it, although sure. if it's that IRS scam, yeah. watch yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. IRS will never call you directly. That's that's the important piece of information right there is they don't call you trying to collect a debt. So what else do you do you hear about or see in, in your work with the senior or securities helpline for seniors? There was a while there where we were seeing a spate of uh, binary options questions. People were wondering whether or not these trading platforms were legitimate. They were also wondering, because they had invested through them and hadn't heard anything back, they were trying to get their money back, they wanted to understand how they worked. But, you know, the CFTC, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, which has jurisdiction over these kinds of transactions, and also the Securities and Exchange Commission and FINRA have issued alerts letting people know how binary options work. And they can be a very, very risky way uh, to try to make money. What are binary options? They are a type of option contract. So you with an options contract, you're basically betting that the price of a security will go up or go down in the mm-hmm. future at some future date. Right. So it's it's very much a, a zero-sum game when you're investing in options. It either does or doesn't go up or down. But with binary options, they're all-or-nothing propositions. And so when a binary option expires, it either makes a pre-specified amount of money, or it makes nothing at all, Hmm. in which case the investor loses their entire investment. And so it's a risky proposition to begin with, but it's also an area where a number of fraudsters have emerged. And a lot of those fraudsters do not live within the borders of the United States. So federal authorities, FINRA, we don't have any jurisdiction over these people that are calling and, yeah. and emailing about these opportunities. So I was just going to ask, so, so the, the primary modes of contact are telephone and email? That's right, yes. And that goes right along with what we've seen, Kurt, about the, the pathways that scammers use, right. telephone and email, and then farther down the list would be the the front door, you know, somebody accosts you in the parking lot kind of in-person scam. So, sure. you know, the message here is somebody calls you on the phone, don't answer the, the call, just like you said, Jerry, right? Let it go to voicemail right. and then see what you can do about eliminating these these calls. Answering the phone is a tip-off right. to yeah. whatever the, the algorithm is, whatever the, the robot right. is behind it, that this is a legitimate line. So it's a right. really good idea just don't even pick up the phone if you don't recognize the number. Sure. I've started getting those kinds of calls on my cell phone. It drives me a little me bit crazy. Me too. I've, yeah. I've learned to just not, you know, to resist that urge to, yep. to pick up. Yeah, and then I block them. I mean, as soon as the call is over, I block them. And then often I'll put the number out on Twitter and say, you know, phony business loan call or whatever it is um, because I want to spread the word about it. Which is great because then when people like me who Google that number – find it, we see that somebody flagged it as a fraudulent marketer. Right. Right. Jerry, on your website, 
Is there more information on this binary option scheme? Yes, we have a a series of investor alerts that we've put out. We usually put out about one a month or maybe a dozen a year. And that's one of the ones that we put out within the past year. And so it's up on our website. Uh, This is uh, a new one that I'm just learning about that you've just right. you know, highlighted, and I want to make sure that our audience uh, has some current uh, up-to-date information on it because it sounds yeah. like it could be uh, a financially devastating kind of thing if a, if a senior decides to, uh, to buy the contract and all of a sudden it doesn't pay off. Absolutely. Well, we have information on FINRA.org in the okay. investor alerts section okay. of our website. Good. Well, thanks for that. Yeah, we definitely want to put a link from our page at scammercast.com to that resource at finra.org. So thanks for that. Okay. So you've talked a lot about the Securities Helpline for Seniors. First of all, what is the number and when is it in operation? The number is 844-57-HELPS, and that translates into 844-574-3577. It's toll-free. And it operates from Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Okay, great. So if if somebody calls the helpline, what happens from there? Well, it depends on the nature of your question. Some people call us because they don't understand something on their account statement. And so the individual that answers the call will walk them through the account statement or answer a question. But if you have a concern about how your brokerage account was handled or you need information, then you might be asked to provide more information. Uh, You might be asked to provide account statements or the name of the registered representative that you're dealing with. And then the people in our Boca Raton office who staff this securities helpline for seniors will then do some work in the background and get back to you with additional follow-up or a a resolution okay so if a senior calls the helpline they're going to talk to uh to a a live human they're not they're not going to be uh, leaving a message or talking to an automated system that's right and they will be answered their call will be answered within at least two minutes we haven't had an issue with people having to leave messages but people's messages do get returned right away great okay great So is there a particular method for a senior to file a complaint if they think they've been the victim of an investment scam? Is that a more involved process, or is it just all through the same place and the same people? Calling the Seniors Helpline is one avenue, but if you have a complaint that you want to lodge against a broker, you need to go to finra.org slash complaint. And that will allow you to fill out a form that will then be transferred to the member regulation units that look at these issues. And one of the things to remember when you file a complaint is that FINRA doesn't act as your lawyer. We don't Mm -hmm. prosecute the case on your behalf so much as we try to investigate the allegation that you've made, compare it with other allegations that others have made, and take action against the individual or the firm that if we find that there's been wrongdoing, take action. So If you want to protect yourself, we always encourage people to speak to an attorney who handles securities cases. One, to find out whether or not you've got a claim, because sometimes things happen in the securities industry that are not, you know, they're, they're problematic to the individual investor, but they're not necessarily violations of any rule Mm -hmm. or any kind of wrongdoing. For example, Mm -hmm. if the markets drop 
right. that I mean, that's... might cause losses, but that doesn't mean that your broker did anything wrong. Sure, that's or, just the market. Right, exactly. And what can happen, too, and we often hear about people saying, oh, my broker sold my securities. Well, if you have a margin account and the value mm. of those securities fell below a certain threshold, that's within the right of your broker to do, and right. that's the agreement that you made when you signed up for a, a margin account. So sure. sometimes you know, we're able to resolve those issues and explain to the investor what happened. Mm-hmm. But when there is wrongdoing or when there is a concerning pattern, uh, we do take a look at it, and we have the power that Congress gave us, delegated by the SEC, to take action against the firms or the individuals. Now, sometimes that can lead to money coming back to investors, but the reason we encourage people to work with securities lawyers to see what their claims are is they might be able to take additional action Mm. if they work with a lawyer. They might also want to consider a mechanism for recovery called arbitration and mediation. It's part of the dispute resolution service that FINRA offers. So you do help people recover stolen money at times? Well, stolen, sometimes people recover, so there's fraud, like those out-and-out scams. Right. Those typically happen when individuals are not registered with FINRA. Right. Now, not not always, um, but but it's the rarer case. And so we we really encourage people to check out their broker to make sure that they're licensed. Yeah, do your homework beforehand. To see whether they have a history of fraud, exactly. Right. But... When people lose money because of, you know, maybe aggressive sales tactics, misleading information Mm -hmm. that was given to investors, that's an area where there might be restitution to the customer, but it's a really good idea for the customer to separately consider arbitration or mediation to see if they can reach resolution to get money back. Uh, Jerry, here on the ScammerCast, we talk a lot about how emotions play a role in uh, targeting seniors for scams. And and, uh, I know that the foundation has done or supported some research in that area. Tell our audience a a bit about that. Starting in 2004, one of the very first grants that the foundation made was to the Consumer Fraud Research Group to look at why some investors are susceptible to fraud. So really since we began, the foundation has been exploring this area of fraud. And that first study came out in 2006. It really debunked the myth that victims of fraud tend to be older women living alone, living on limited means, who answer a phone call and suddenly have their savings stolen. Mm -hmm. Instead, we saw a very rich and complex profile of investment fraud victims as older, well-educated, financially literate men who had partners, so they were not isolated, they had spouses or someone in their life who were more likely to take on risk and who maybe had a negative life event. And Mm. that was important groundbreaking research. And since then, we've been looking at the mechanisms of fraud, and emotions are huge. Yeah. What what do you notice there? What has the research uncovered as far as the importance of emotions? And, and are there different kinds of emotions that come into play here? Two kinds of emotions that we tested, both negative and positive emotions, 
can play a role when it comes to fraud susceptibility for older Americans. We we worked with researchers from AARP, from the FINRA Foundation, and from Stanford University, and AARP and, and FINRA Foundation actually funded this study for psychologists at Stanford University to explore that role of emotion to fraud susceptibility. And what we found is that inducing emotions in older adults, and they could be positive or negative, so that excitement or anger, it actually increased their intention to buy falsely advertised items. And that was true compared to younger adults. Younger adults who saw these same ads were far less likely to buy, whether they were in the control group, the neutral, neutral emotion group, or in the anger or excitement groups. And the other key finding is that older adults' intention to purchase was not based on credibility. So it wasn't that they somehow believed the ad better. Instead, it was simply the emotional state that they were experiencing that seemed to be the the key factor for why they were buying. So what's the recommendation then? What's the behavior change or the practice that seniors ought to be adopting to better protect themselves? Slow down the decision always ask and check. And that's a mantra that we have been reciting to people to try to slow down the decision-making process. Take the time to ask questions and then verify the answers. And two of the key questions that you should ask, is the individual who's offering me this opportunity licensed to sell securities? Mm -hmm. And then check the information in BrokerCheck. And is the opportunity itself a registered investment, and then use the SEC's database to find out. We have links on our website to help you do that, and it's an important step to slow down the conversation to ask those questions, Mm -hmm. because in the time you do that work, hopefully your emotions will have returned to a more neutral state, and you won't be as susceptible to those fraudulent pitches. Right. Yeah, and so any effort on on the part of the uh, person selling the opportunity to force a decision right now uh, has to be a red flag that there's a problem. And that's one of many red flags. Part of the work that we've been doing, and it builds on this 2006 study that was released, is that cons use persuasion to help them carry out their fraud. So all the fraud du jours, whether it's hmm. the tax scam or it's a clean energy scam or investing in China, whatever it is, mm-hmm. it's really kind of the same old fraud just in a different wrapper. Right. But the way cons or fraudsters encourage investors to buy in to these new wrappers is through persuasion. And so that idea that you just mentioned that like, well, you know, you've got to act now or the deal's going to go away. That's a persuasion tactic called scarcity. Yeah. Right. The idea is that this is time limited or it's, it's resource limited or it's only made available to a certain select group of people. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? That's just a tactic. Right. Real deals are going to be there tomorrow. And we want to refer our listeners here to a couple of our other episodes of the ScammerCast, 
we did one called The Five Flags, The Role of Emotions in Scam Victimization. We also have another episode called The uh, Ten Dead Giveaways for a Scam. So we'd refer all of our listeners to those episodes for even more information. Yeah, and they can find those at the website, scammercast.com, where also they can find our episode with uh, Marty DeLima. Exactly, Who yes. uh, participated in the study from Stanford and shared a lot of great information that is a about great episode. her findings. So, yes. Jerry, we have just a few minutes left, but we wanted to make sure here at the end that we highlight a a checklist or a tool that you have prepared at FINRA uh, called the Mass Marketing and Other Fraud Victim Recovery Checklist. Uh, tell us about that. I'm happy to. We worked with the National Center for Victims of Crime to come up with some checklists for different types of frauds to help that organization, because they work with victim advocates, law enforcement, regulators, and others to help victims of crime recover whatever losses they can recover, but get on with their lives. And so all of our taking action guides are aimed at helping people figure out how to get through the process of filing a complaint, identifying that something wrong happened to them, getting recovery if it's available, but then taking action to avoid fraud in the future. Sounds perfect, and, and that's part of why I wrote my book, too. I mean, I when this happened to my stepfather a few years ago, uh, I didn't really find much out there, and so my book is still out there and, and available for anyone who's interested. The title is Scammed, Three Steps to Help Your Elder Parents and Yourself. Which is fantastic. We need more information out there for people to understand what they need to do to get their lives back on track, because... Many of the systems that are in place to help people are fantastic, but there's always steps that the individual can take themselves or caregivers can take to help people recover. And so this guide is available on saveandinvest.org. And that's a website that the foundation created really as a business-to-business website for victim advocates, for crime prevention specialists, for other audiences that we work with, but it contains all the resource material that we just talked about and also links to the research. That's terrific. And so beyond the financial consequences, I mean, because this is a big part of what my focus is and our focus is here on the ScammerCast is, what kind of a toll can fraud have on a senior? I mean, there's obviously the financial loss, but, but what else are you finding in your research and in your experience in terms of how it affects a senior who's been victimized? Financial fraud has devastating impacts on individuals, and we did a survey of self-reported financial fraud victims to see you know, what the impacts were beyond the, the loss itself. And in addition to the financial cost, you see that a lot of people report having severe stress, having mm-hmm. anxiety, they've got depression, difficulty right. sleeping, and, and those psychological and emotional costs are huge. But then there are also the indirect financial costs, so mm-hmm. not just the loss, like let's say you lost $10,000 on an investment you might also incur other costs related to that, like legal fees, bounce checks if that money was Mm -hmm. siphoned away from your checking account. You might be in debt because you don't have that money. You might have to declare bankruptcy. And almost one in 10 people said that they had to declare bankruptcy as a result of a fraud. 
Wow. That, uh, that's a staggering number. It really is. Well, Jerry, uh, we're so grateful that you have come on the ScammerCast today, and we've talked a couple times throughout the episode about how people can get more information through FINRA. Would you remind our audience of the ways that they can interact with you? Absolutely. Come to FINRA.org slash investors, and you'll be on the investor page with links to our alerts, broker check, all kinds of resources to help you, whether you're a novice investor or an experienced investor. And then saveandinvest.org is a website that focuses on preventing financial fraud. Well, I think that's terrific. I mean, you've just given us a wealth of information. I think we'll probably have to have you back for even more discussion in the future. I would be delighted. Great. So would we. Super. Well, please visit uh, the website, scammercast.com, for complete show notes, and we'll have all the links posted there on how you can find out more information from FINRA. And we'll also post the Securities Helpline for Seniors toll-free number in case you need to interact with that. And we want to encourage all of our listeners to interact with us on Facebook. Be sure to check out our page for the ScammerCast and leave us your comments. Have you had experience with investment scams or any kind of scam at all? Share the information with us there so that we can spread the word to others as well. And uh, also be sure to share this episode and any of our episodes with your friends via Facebook and through our uh, links at ScammerCast.com. We're very excited about the growth of our audience here at ScammerCast, and we're very encouraged about the way we've been reaching thousands of people with our podcast. So help us out, and we really appreciate all of your support. Until next time, this is your co-host, Curtis Bailey at ScammerCast.com. And this is Art Maines, LCSW, co-host at ScammerCast.com, reminding you to help us hammer the scammers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the ScammerCast, your headquarters for education and protection of our elderly from scams worldwide. Be sure to visit us at ScammerCast.com, where you can send us your stories and tips, as well as send us your feedback, visit our Facebook presence, and more. Thank you for listening to this episode, and until next time, Hammer the Scammers. The information we share in this podcast is meant for informational and educational purposes only and should never substitute for appropriate legal, financial, or medical advice from qualified professionals. Always consult with an attorney, physician, or financial professional for the correct advice for your particular situation.